Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell, and I'm joined as always by my co host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Jason. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, we, we've all got, we still got our moons from last time. There's, there's been no uh, backroom moon trading that I'm aware of. <laughs> no, I, I was thinking of trading one of my moons for like a, for, I was trying to see if I could trade Ganymede for some maybe future moon consideration, but mm. no takers so far on Ganymede. I mean, sometimes the pick is not about today, but about tomorrow. So mm. Most of the time, in fact, um, which is why the, you know, the choice of Phobos was so questionable, but you know. <laughs> uh, we have some uh, moon draft follow-up. Of course we do. Of course we do. We had a lot of a lot of email, a lot of comments about the moon draft. And um I'm going to start with something that really caught my eye. Uh, an article over on Medium because everything's on Medium now about Iapetus, which if you remember from last time has it this dark and light side and as and as it uh it's tidally locked so as it's as it moves around in its orbit, the leading side is covered with all of this dark material. And there's a lot of questions uh, as to why. And this article goes into it a little bit that uh, Phoebe, which is thought to be a Kuiper Belt object that's in retrograde, uh, may be leaving a ring of debris in its wake. And the theory is that Iapetus runs into that, making one side darker than the other. Pretty pretty straightforward, I think. Right. Except that the, there's, I, I read this article actually before we did the moon draft. And I was, uh, and I was like, all right, we solved it. And then, and then the article goes on to be like, but... <laughs> <laughs> because then the dark side uh, absorbs more heat than the the lighter side, which is more reflective. And th- there's like other processes. So it may actually be that the that the dark side is actually lightening the other side, which is just there's a lot going on on uh, on Iapetus. I mean, that theory goes into like, uh, you know, this ice could be moving and and sublimating just enough to sort of ooch over the surface to the, the colder yeah. side it's it's all very strange it's, it's super weird but you know it's got great that article's got those great pictures too the, like the one i love the one where it's like it just got splatted it's like a vanilla it's like vanilla ice cream that got splatted by a puff of uh of cocoa powder or something like wow. that it's just this it's like this well i mean it's the reverse it, it's like a pie in the face except in reverse it's really funny <laughs> i love that it's just totally splatted by the dark stuff and you're like what happened to iapetus who played the practical joke on iapetus but there it is there it is uh so that'll be that'll be in the show notes this week uh uh, right alongside a drawing made by listener alex of us uh drafting our moons yes that was great it's pretty great you're wearing a hoodie it looks like yes that's accurate as you as you often do you often co- do. a college yeah. shirt it's not that it's not that warm out here in the garage yeah. you got the college shirt yeah mm-hmm. your yeah, hair so. your hair you look very uh you look very hip in that you look like a hipster in that in that drawing i'm not it's sure true. i endorse that i don't, i don't think that's entirely accurate well i'm not as hipster as, as some of my co-founders mm. uh, the british one mostly but um yes. you know it happens but it's <laughs> He's the it, hipsterist. it's a great great uh, i don't want to critique the cartoon too much because it's great that he was doodling us as we were doing our moon draft and it's uh, very cool and we've got all the all the all the moons all our moons behind us yep and I, they all look the way they're supposed to yeah. uh titan is huge looming over my shoulders if it's watching me uh make the other picks <laughs> Yeah, Ganymede, uh, Ganymede's uh, back there, and also Phobos. So I've got like <laughs> big, and l- large, and small in moons. <laughs> oh man, it's so I enjoyed it a lot. So thank you very much, mm-hmm. uh, listener Alex. That's awesome. We had, as you might imagine, uh, people uh, coming out in defense of the moons that we <laughs> did not include. Of course, uh, yeah. They, you know, you leave a lot of moons on the board. We only picked ten moons. There are a lot of good moons out there. You know, the, the, those moons are going to be available as free agents. Yep. So I suggest that we cover two very quickly. These were the All two right. that they were, had a lot of uh, popular support. There's a grassroots campaign around these mm. two moons. Well, well, one of them, uh, Mimas, uh, I had as my like fallback pick. There was there was a moment in the moon draft that people may not be aware of where um, we miscounted and thought that we were a moon short, <laughs> and that was that was my backup pick was was Mimas. Um, well, the magic of editing covered that up. Yeah, I know people don't people don't know that. I, the I totally magic of editing also up. covered. Yeah, up. I, I I called Iapetus the Death Star Moon, and it does have a big uh, crater on it. But Mimas is really the Death Star Moon. It's got the big big crater. It looks 
just like the Death Star. It does. So Mimas is real small, right? It's like uh, 396 kilometers across. It's the smallest astronomical body actually to be rounded uh, under its own gravity, which hmm. is uh, pretty neat. Um, and it looks like the Death Star. Like, I don't know what to tell you. It's, it's exactly what you think it looks like. Yeah. Yeah, and the, and the the highest resolution, you know, basically Star Wars came out, and then much later, um, there was a, a flyby that that gave us a much closer view. Um, actually, not even necessarily much later, but anyway, it was one of those things where Death Star was on the mind, and then you see this, you know, and famously, that's no moon for the Death Star, and then here's a moon that's got that kind of uh, indentation on it, that divot in it, that looks a lot like the Death Star. It's a good one, and um, you know. If you, plus the real estate, as I said on the moon draft, if you consider the location important, which you should when you're drafting moons, uh, Saturn is a great place to be. Very pretty. Lots of uh, nice stuff to look at in, at, at Saturn. Callisto was another popular uh, choice. It's, uh, it's a moon circling Jupiter. And um, it really is, um, if you look at this picture of it on this Wikipedia article, it's extremely... Uh, heavily cratered mm-hmm. and and I think just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I I I'm comfortable with Callisto not being in our top ten moons, honestly. And I'm not trying to run down Callisto, but maybe a little overrated. It's good, you know. It's fine. It's the third largest moon in the solar system, but you know, Ganymede's in the same system and is bigger. Um, it it have, has flashier siblings, is what you're saying. It 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 does. It's one of the Galilean moons, right? It's one of the it's one of those those four moons that were spotted by Galileo in his telescope, and that makes it really notable. And it's the one of the four Galilean moons that didn't make it on the draft. But it doesn't mean that it's not a perfectly fine moon that has a great moon career ahead of it. So I think that's that. I think that's going to close the um, the moon draft chapter for now. I think so. Uh, we maybe we'll draft some other stuff at some point. That was kind of a fun way to walk through. Instead of it just being sort of like, let's talk about all the moons. We did, you know, we did the draft thing, and I thought that was like a, just added a little. So the drafts make everything better, Stephen. There you go. It was a lot of fun. We'll draft we'll a little bit someday. A little, <laughs> little bit this week about uh, the space tourism thing. We, mm. we we touched on it with uh, Virgin. Was it last? Was it last episode or the episode before? Uh, with their second vehicle coming out and this idea of uh, you can get into this business not necessarily to launch satellites like SpaceX and so many others are doing, but you can do it to fly people to the edge of space for for money. And that's totally fine. Like I'm not here to judge either way. Um, but Blue Origin got into this conversation this week. Uh, Blue Origin, of course, is the company owned by Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon. And he, uh, they've come out and saying that they're going to have uh, flights um, for space tourism. And they've really been, best I can tell, really quiet about what they're doing. They've had a couple of launches. They very famously were the first to launch a stage one vehicle that, like, refly, that it came mm-hmm. and landed and they flew it again, which, of course, is sort of the, the goal that SpaceX is chasing after as well. But now they're coming out saying that they want to have um, piloted tests starting in 2017 uh, with potential space tourism flights after that. Yeah, it's it's uh, uh, that seems unlikely to me, but who knows? I mean, they, they haven't been they're not a company that we're that we're um, we're used to talking about. Right. Because it was so secretive for so long. We knew it was happening, but it was really not until this thing that that they spent time sort of detailing what they're what their plan is. So um seems like, you know, the PR PR approaches to uh, Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic are pretty remarkably different, right? One is Br- Richard Branson, and we're going to talk this up maybe 10 years before it's really going to happen <laughs> and take deposits. And then there's Jeff Bezos, who's sort of secretive and doesn't want to talk about it and then suddenly says, oh, yeah, we might have people uh, up in 2018. It, it does seem very aggressive from a timeline perspective. Uh, which is really the first thing I I thought of. You know, that's when you start putting humans uh, in these things. The testing, and everything, obviously becomes a lot more serious, and you have to deal with a lot more regulation and overhead. Um, but again, like like you said, we don't know. And really, this this article in the New York Times is really one of the first times we've seen behind the veil a little bit. You know, SpaceX and um, Virgin Galactic and these other companies are much more open in the sense of. You know, telling people what they're up to, and and of course that draws attention not only from fans but from press as well. And this is the first time that Be- the Bezos and company have said, "Hey, look, this is what we're up to." Um, they say they're going to do more of this sort of um, 
open policy from now on. So hopefully we, you know, be able to follow them a little bit closer because really until that new shepherd launch in the fall, they weren't really on anyone's radar in any major way. So there's an article on the verge um, written by Lauren Grush about this blue origin press day where they invited 11 reporters uh, to come see their facility and only uh, two were women, right? which is not cool at all. Yeah, I mean, it's not like women aren't covering space. There are a lot of women space writers out there. Um, and, you know, it would be easy, I think, for people to just sort of brush this off as somebody who di- who got an invite, and who didn't get an invite and is unhappy about it. But I think bottom line, when, we t- when a lot of the conversation is about how do you get women involved in technical fields, um, whether that is as people involved in space or or uh, general technology stuff or in journalism covering them and you know becoming important leaders in terms of uh, of uh, discussion and analysis of technical topics uh, there aren't you know this is an example where um, there are a lot of women who could have gotten invited and didn't it was a small fraction and a little bit of effort is all that was really required here. All that was really required is for Blue Origin to say, you know what, this seems like a whole lot of dudes. Let's mm-hmm. invite a few more women because it's very hard to say, well, these were the leading lights in, in space writing. It's like, all right, well, how do you become a leading light in space writing? One way you do it is by getting those big stories, like being one of 10 or 11 people to be invited to see Blue Origin, the secretive thing. Uh, so one way you, you allow women to to make progress in this industry is by making some effort to include more of them. Right. And in and, and, and Lauren's article, she goes through some people who... Uh, would have probably been, you know, uh, candidates to to be there, sure. and instead, some really smaller, uh, yeah, yeah you press organizations feel, were 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 you there. Can, you can feel the burn that uh, that uh, she noted that uh, GeekWire from Seattle and Florida Today and the Huntsville Times, which are you know Florida and Huntsville are major centers for space, sure. But at the same time, you know, you are missing uh, the space writers who are women who were were available to be invited here, presumably from Mashable and Popular Science and Gizmodo and National Geographic and The Verge and Wired and Space dot com. It's and not the like New York Times. <laughs> yeah, it's not like there weren't women writers available. So it's just it's just another example where. Uh, if you don't make an effort, this sort of stuff happens, and that's why people should make an effort. Because, I mean, I I have talked to women in the tech industry and in the space industry who make the same point, which is it's just dispiriting. And, you know, because people think that they're that uh, everything's okay and that they're not part of the problem. But unless you... Uh, you know, pause for a minute and say, wait a second, let's analyze what we're about to do. Is this an okay thing? Uh, Unless you do that and realize you need to make a change and make a little more effort to change the composition, then, uh, then uh, you're not helping. You're not, you're, you're part of the problem and not, and not the solution. And I'm not saying there should be like a strict quota system or something like that. But when you look at a group of 11 people and there, you've only invited two women, maybe, maybe think, Hey, that's probably out of balance and we should do something about that. I totally agree, and hopefully this is a lesson they have learned and will um, act more appropriately in the future. So this is something that, I mean, space the space industry has had to deal with this. I read uh, Riding Rockets by Mike Mullane, who was a shuttle astronaut, uh, and it, it's got some really good uh, perspective on how, some of the stuff that the women in the, uh, the women astronauts in the space shuttle program needed to deal with. Um, it was, it was a... There's a there's a cowboy kind of uh, attitude. It's a real you know macho test pilot kind of attitude that pervades the space industry, and that's one of the reasons why it, it people need to work because work on on dealing with this because the women in space in the space industry get uh, deal with this and are frustrated by this and leave the space industry and the tech industry because they don't want to deal with it anymore. So, you know. You just got to pay better attention to this if you're if you're Jeff Bezos. While we're kind of talking about space press for a second, I just wanted to point uh, listeners to a video over on Wired. Um, Brent Rose is maybe one of the funniest people in this field to me, <laughs> and he goes and takes the 
the astronaut test uh, at NASA and uh, doesn't do super well. <laughs> um, uh, so he goes through the physical testing and then he's talking with someone about the educational requirements, which he doesn't meet. And then <laughs> writing about just, space turns out does not qualify you to go to space. Not at all. Um, he does get to drive the big, uh, the big Rover, uh, which is, has shown up in other videos before this big, crazy, like eight wheeled, uh, monstrosity that's designed to drive on Mars or drive on the moon. It's really just, it's a fun video and I enjoyed watching it. I think our, our listeners mm-hmm. will get a kick out of it. Totally. And finally, uh, SpaceX has had a launch in the the time since we've recorded last. Um, they actually had several uh, days where they um, needed to scrub the launch, scrub, yeah, uh, including one basically at ignition where they ignited and the computer cut it off. Mm-hmm. Um, but they finally uh, got it launched. Um, they did not uh, succeed in landing the first stage uh, at sea, but this was an interesting launch because it was uh, this. Their payload was a satellite that had to be uh, far beyond low Earth orbit, right? It's a geosynchronous uh, point in the sky, which basically means this satellite, if you're on the ground, looks like it it moves with you, right? Right. Um, as opposed to something like the International Space Station, which is circling the Earth faster than than we go around it. Yeah, like communication satellites are, are geosynchronous. So uh, like if you're a uh, direct TV subscriber, you are basically pointing your, I think what they told me is you're pointing your dish toward Texas. Um, and the idea there is that hovering kind of over Texas is, uh, is a satellite and it just, it stays there. It moves with the rotation of the yep. earth. So once you point your satellite dish at it, you're pretty much set. It, it doesn't move out in the sky as opposed to the ISS, which, you know, passes over your, your sky in a matter of a minute. Right. And so to, to, so to do that, you have to be way further out. And that, of course, takes fuel. And so uh, SpaceX really was padding this going into it, saying, look, we're not going to have the fuel that we normally do at landing. We may not have the ability to maneuver this the way we want it to. Um, all evidence is that it that it, it basically smashed into the, uh, the yeah. drone ship. Elon Musk said it landed hard, which, you know, we can guess. Basically, there was like some movement in the camera and then the camera shut off. And you're like, oh, well. Yeah. That's a euphemism for everything exploded. That's not good. <laughs> That's not good. But he said that he thought that it looked really good for next time, that based on all of the data that they're gathering, I think he was making a prediction that they're going to be able to soft land it next time. Um, and that's that's good. So SpaceX continues to do its job. Um, I wanted to circle back when we were talking about space tourism um, and Blue Origin. Uh, we got a nice couple of tweets from Lister Frank about uh, Virgin, and he was very happy that we covered them uh, because they were what he said was the only ones working on consumer travel. It turns out that the ta-da, Jeff Bezos is also playing this game. <gasps> um, uh, but he also kind of took a shot at SpaceX and said they were boring mini NASA. I, I, you know, I don't think NASA is boring and I don't think SpaceX is boring. The idea that a, a, a commercial endeavor is going to send astronauts to the International Space Station, I think is pretty awesome. And uh, we had a we had a nice back and forth on Twitter where I, I professed that um, taking people on a suborbital flight to, you know, have <laughs> a couple of minutes and say that they were in space and brag to their friends about it is maybe a little less interesting to me than actually going into orbit but um you know frank's point and i think it's a good one is that this is step one of space tourism and eventually yeah you are going to take people into orbit and you're going to have a space hotel and you know they're they're right they're concepts of like giant inflatable you know space structures that you can mm-hmm. take people to and they can bounce around in and all all sorts of stuff but you got to start somewhere and so virgin and and Blue Origin are both doing the, the the space tourism stuff. So it's not really exploration, which is what makes me um, excited. Um, I, I, I find the the space tourism stuff, actually tourism stuff, more boring <laughs> than exploration, but to each mm-hmm. his or her own. Um, so thanks to Listener Frank for, for commenting on that. And we will watch it all. Well, I think right now it's so exciting because you have these all these different companies and organizations doing different things, right? Yeah. That, that, to me, that's so exciting. Like, I have a tendency to sort of uh, err on the side of you know your side of the argument that the the exploration is more is was more exciting to me personally, but uh, you know the reality is that all of this stuff drives all of us forward, and if um, Virgin Galactic is doing you know consumer. Uh, space travel or, you know, um, glorified vomit comet type stuff, then yeah. that's that's exciting in and of itself because it, it means that their knowledge and expertise will affect the rest of the industry. And that's what's new about all this, right? For so long, it was 
it was just government agencies, just NASA, just um, the European Space Agency, just Russia. And now you have corporations in the mix too. And while that's problematic in some areas, the uh, the more that this stuff is going on in parallel, the potential for new things to arise and new technologies and new processes uh, just grow, you know, much quicker. Yep, absolutely. It's cool. I think it's time to take a break. I think so. So we're going to take a break and tell you about our sponsor. It's the, our regular sponsor here on Liftoff, and we love them. It's Luminos, the all-in-one mobile astronomy app for iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch. And it comes from the very good people at Wobbleworks, who we've also told you about. It, it, this is an app that's been in development for more than a decade. It's got all the power that you might expect in a desktop, you know, a computer astronomy program, and it boils it all down. It's not losing any of the content. It's got all that power still, but it fits in your pocket. It fits in your hands. It can be on your uh, on your tablet or your phone or even your Apple Watch. This is the sixth year of free feature updates uh, in and Luminos Nine is out. So once you buy it, there are no in-app purchases or anything like that. You you just get the app, and that's been true for six years now. Luminos version nine has a huge star catalog. Uh, it's the largest one available on mobile. It's got the complete UCAC four with up to 113 million stars. But you don't have to download the giant data file if you don't want to. You can actually choose which catalog size fits your needs and your storage. If your iPhone is getting full, you can slim that down. If you're in a place that you know you you just want to see the visible stars, let's say uh, you can do that. Download it with a single tap, and you can add a whole bunch of free supplemental data to it, like photometry and proper motion it's uh up for ios 9 it's got all those features split screen multitasking spotlight search and an apple watch app that's been updated for watch os 2 so it's much more reliable we got a nice note from listener steven about how luminos's custom list feature was great to use to follow along with the moon draft you make a custom list of all those moons and then as you're listening you can check out every one of the moons in the moon draft i thought that was a really cool idea he sent in a picture of that uh, Wobbleworks is a family business they've been doing this for more than 50 years if you put it all together uh they've crafted luminos to delight all of you current astronomy fans out there, and also to use it to create new ones. It includes detailed planet and moon maps, tens of thousands of asteroids and comets, mobile's largest deep space image catalog, wireless support for telescope mount control, and a whole lot more. So go to wobbleworks.com and find out much more about Luminos. Thank you to Luminos for sponsoring Liftoff. So we're going to do some news this week, and I thought that it would be fun to organize it uh, from as far out from the sun as possible and work our way into the solar system. Interesting. Uh, I was putting this together and I was like, I need a way to organize this because in, in the past we've jumped around. I was like, well, we'll just do it based on location because why not? Why not? So we're going to start really far out. Um, there is a, a report out that the the Hubble team has broken a distance record uh, and they have... Uh, observed a galaxy that is the furthest away from us than we've ever seen before. Uh, it's believed that it's up to 13 point fill. <clears throat> wow. Numbers, Jason, how do yeah. they work? 13.4 billion years in the past. Um, so this is look, we're getting closer to, you know, seeing closer and closer to the big bang. And uh, yeah, basically it, we're trying to see as close as we can to that moment where everything in the universe was opaque and you couldn't see anything. And then beyond that point you can't you can't really go, but that's really far back. And this is there's a there's a great uh YouTube video that shows the that zooms in to show you where it is and it's just ludicrous because it just yeah. keeps going. This is such a small faint object. It's so far away and it's yeah, it's amazing. It's very cool. And the the James Webb Space Telescope, which we've spoken about before is going to be able to push this even further. Yeah. So we should be closer and closer um, to these, you know, very early stars, very early bodies in yeah, the universe. Everybody, everybody seemed to actually kind of surprised that Hubble even managed to see this thing, because this is the sort of thing that the James Webb uh, Space Telescope, which is looking deep into the infrared, should be able to see. Um, but they, you know, Hubble is not out of tricks yet, which is pretty cool. Uh, coming in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> just, well, yeah, just a bit. From 13.4 billion years in the past to Pluto. Mm. Uh, Pluto's been in the news again uh, as these images continue to come out from the New Horizons. I'm starting um, to wonder if they built New Horizons specifically so they could have a year of PR. 
<laughs> I know they didn't. I know that this this has to do with the low transmission rate back from it's that a good side effect, though. But oh my goodness, it is. Um, you know, every week they've got another press release about another discovery on Pluto because, and it's not artificial because I mean, is it artificial? I think they 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 have strategized with their data download, but in the end they just keep getting more data and they and they get to they get to show it off, and so there's more this week. Yeah, so so this week. Uh, it is all about methane, snow, and and potential uh, cloud formation. So this um, this news about snow uh, on the surface is up in in a, a mountainous region when they believe it to be to be methane. We spoke about in the moon draft things that we think of gases here are not necessarily gases everywhere. Right, the temperature is so vastly different, and. Um, so yeah, so they've they've got these images, and it looks like there is uh, snow, and it, this is in conjunction with uh, a another image um, that is looking at uh, Pluto's very thin atmosphere, and the thought that there are clouds potentially in that atmosphere. Just amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's. I mean, the snow. It it looks like snow. Yeah. You, it's just like the, the mountains have snow on them. It's uh, it, and this is in the dark area, the Cthulhu. Um, area that's next to the mm-hmm. heart, and there's these little light elements that uh, that apparently it's uh, yeah methane ice, methane snow, and uh, th- this all of course. I mean, anytime something new with Pluto comes up, uh, people want to rename it a planet. Um, but th- this cloud thing <laughs> has people fired up about it <laughs> because you know uh, clouds seem like things that planets should have. I don't know. I I, I, I I don't think that's how that works. I, Moons I'm, have clouds yeah, too. I'm pretty firmly in dwarf planet camp, but um, yeah, yeah, it is a planet. It is a dwarf planet because it's small yeah. and uh and it, but it's fine. I think it's great. The the, you know, we've talked about on past shows. Atmosphere is a real uh, talk about planet being a problematic definition. Atmosphere is a problematic definition. It's sort of like, yeah, it's some stuff that is really tenuous Mm -hmm. that is kind of near the surface. And we say, sure, that's an atmosphere. But some of the atmospheres that we see are, are not things we would call atmospheres at all. They are practically vacuums, but they're not, they are these tenuous atmospheres. So yeah, this, um, the, the haze that we've seen from those backlit photos and now the idea that there's some things that might be clouds. It's, this is great stuff. And I think what's also great about it is that I think it's surprising. I think that a lot of the scientists working on this Pluto stuff um, over the years did not, did not expect to see some of these things, which is what makes it so exciting that, you know, scientists love nothing more than unexpected discoveries. Exactly. And, uh, you know, like you said, this is all part of, you know, the, the year or more uh, this data is going to take to come back, and so Pluto's just going to be in the news cycle for a long time. Yeah, I I, I am going to criticize this uh, Quartz article that we linked to. It's like, I think we can talk about Pluto and how great it is and not talk about whether it's a planet or not. Can we, can we stop that? I think it's that? time to move That's on. That's dumb. I think, you know, Alan Stern has every right to bring it up every time he wants to, but if you're a writer writing about Pluto and you, um, you know, you, you use it as your perfect, personal sort of like soapbox to complain about Pluto being declared a planet 10 years ago. Come on. You know, it's, it's dumb. Just, just let it go. Let's move on. So what's next? What is next? Uh, well, I guess we got to come closer. I need to make sure that I'm pointed toward the sun. Uh, and let's go to Ceres. How about that? Ceres is a really interesting body. It was at one point considered a planet. Hmm. And then like Pluto before it, it was yep. demoted. <laughs> now we think of it. Now now kids uh, get taught in school that it's an it's one of the asteroids, if it's mentioned at all, which is kind of unfair because it is. You, you were talking about Callisto being the smallest round body in the solar system. You know, Ceres is bigger than Callisto. It is a round body in the solar system. Um, it it's uh, it's just in the asteroid belt, but it's one of the larger. Maybe it's the I think it's the largest a- object in the it, asteroid it belt. So it's a it's a little world unto itself, which is pretty cool. And it's I think it's kind of unfair to just say Ceres is just another asteroid. <laughs> it is a it, it it too is a minor or dwarf planet. Um, and this week, speaking of the mountains on Pluto, it's a big week for mountains in space because. Uh, they, they have this, uh, story about this huge mountain 
much larger than they expected, larger than uh, sort of like Mount like Mount Rainier or Mount Whitney. Uh, it's a big mountain on the little old series. Yeah, so this is all part of the the Dawn mission, mm-hmm. which is a um, uh, an orbiter that has been around series for what for a year now, I think. Um, and yeah, we're learning all this great stuff about a world that um, you know on the surface of it, if you'll excuse the pun, uh, may not be all that interesting. But as you know, like so many things in the solar system, we go and start looking at something and start studying something, and we find things unique about it. Right, like that's the the beauty of exploration, and um, yeah. So there's this there's this really cool side perspective view um, of this this mountain on uh, on Ceres, and um, it's like you said, it's this little dwarf planet that is really um, you know opened us up, and we can see more of it than ever. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty cool. This is also if you've if you've been reading the stories about the reflective things, there are these because of the way we take pictures of of these uh, solar system bodies. Sometimes people have like the, all the conspiracy theory people come out, but um, but uh, Ceres is interesting because it's um, it's got these reflective things, and then they're like, oh, it's lights, it's lights from aliens. It's like it's again, it's probably not aliens, <laughs> but it is reflective material down in a crater that they don't really know what it is, but they they've started to have some ideas about it, and uh, and so it's cool for that too. I'm looking up Ceres's size because it it is. It is really small. It's like 473 kilometer radius. I mean, it's tiny. Um, it's it's smaller than Pluto and Charon. It's it's smart smaller than so so you know you've got Callisto, which is which is small. Io, the Moon, you know, all of these small bodies, and then and then all the way down at the bottom is uh, is Ceres. It's like the size of. Um, these kind of lesser outer solar system bodies, but it's in the uh, inner solar system, which makes it um, easier to, for us to get there and explore it. So it's cool. It's cool. And it has a mountain. It has a mountain and it has like a weird like divot next to the mountain, which is weird. I, I wonder if there's, it's got to be part of the process, right? Like something struck and right. landed and formed a mountain or pushed yeah. the surface around but you know they don't really know so we're going to move in uh just one one click closer to the center oh let's do it and we're going to stop at mars all right it's nice that we gave the asteroid belt its own click on the little wheel of solar yeah. system because people people forget about the it's asteroid true belt. it doesn't get a lot of attention it does not so a couple of uh actually three kind of mars mission items that are worth talking about um isa is getting ready to launch its first exo mars mission uh, which is actually going to be um, a series of missions. This first one is going to consist of an orbiter and a lander. Um, the orbiter is going to be looking at the atmosphere, which we're going to get to in a second, uh, looking at trace gases such as methane. And the the lander is going to be um, really sort of a test bed for a rover that could follow in 2018. And they're going to do some clever things. They're going to use the orbiter to to study and to evaluate the lander's performance, um, and and try to uh, gather as much information as possible for a successful rover mission in 2018. And I'm always a sucker for missions that build on each other. Like as one reason I love so much about the Gemini and the Apollo missions mm-hmm. that okay we have to have this step so we can get to this next step. And we're seeing ESA do yeah, this exactly. uh, at Mars now with these ExoMars missions. And um, so this first one is, is uh, on the calendar for, for, I believe, later this year. And it'll be uh, another orbiter uh, circling the red planet. Right. Now, you know, speaking of of, uh, of building for the future, um, NASA has a mission that is now part of the future. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, and we mentioned this before, but it's official now. We mentioned that the InSight mission, was, uh, which was supposed to launch this month, um, they had a leak in the spacecraft and they couldn't figure out how to fix it in time to meet their launch window, which means since Mars, we have these very specific launch windows where earth and Mars are lined up so that it's the shortest point from one, one side, you know, from one side of the the journey to the other. Um, And that now where we're basically going to be on the same side of the solar system with Mars. 
it's going to have to re-rack and wait for May of 2018. That's the next launch window. So there was talk that they might, um, that there's an outside chance they might cancel it. They seem fairly positive that they can fix the problem and get it ready to go, but they have officially rescheduled it for 2018. I think everybody knew this was coming, but, um, you know, it's still disappointing because that, that this is another, when we talked to, to Emily Lakdawalla from the Planetary Society, we talked about the lull in uh, in planetary exploration. And this was one of the things kind of in the lull. And it is now pushed two years away because uh, the spacecraft just didn't, you know, it didn't perform. They, they couldn't have high enough confidence that, would, that it would be operational when it got to Mars. Yeah, so it is going to be... Um going to be a little bit of a, of a wait and um it, you know it is just we'll just keep downloading pictures yeah. from pluto while we wait um but like you said they've done a, i think they did a pretty good job at, at warming people up to this news it, it wasn't a shock when i saw this headline um because they have been have been talking about it but um uh the you know i think it goes to the fact that these things are complicated and it's uh, it's an issue it's actually a vacuum leak um within sort of the container in which its science instrumentation lives and they need that to be sealed off from everything else so they can have uh both accurate and like proper measurement right this is all about getting data correct and uh, if they can't do that then they need to then they need to fix it and that's what they're going to do it seems like so uh, I agree with you. I don't. I don't think they're going to be canceling this at this point. It really seems like they, uh, that NASA and everyone involved is is you know saying, hey, we're going to push it back. We're going to fix it. Um, uh, you know, it's and it's it's an ex- expensive price tag to fix it because not only do you have to fix it, but you also have to continue to house it, and you can't just put insight like in your garage and cover it with a tarp, right? Like it's it's in a clean room, and you have to keep all this stuff hooked up to it, and. Uh, it's a big deal to delay something like this, but um, I look forward to seeing it launch here in uh, here in a couple of years. So, uh, Maven, um, which we yeah. We sp- yeah, this is a story that came out this morning, actually, as we record this. Yeah, so so Maven is uh, as a refresher is a uh, orbiter that looks at Mars uh, atmosphere, and mm-hmm. it turns out that atmosphere. Um, Maybe not so uh, robust. <laughs> yeah, you talk about tenuous atmospheres. I mean, Mars has a has a more than tenuous atmosphere, but it's still, by Earth standards, tenuous. That was one of the big uh, science complaints about the Martian was that storms on Mars would not blow anything right. over <laughs> because the atmosphere just isn't that thick. Um, and Mars doesn't also doesn't have a magnetic field of the kind that earth has it actually does have a magnetosphere but it has to do with the interaction between the solar wind and the mars atmosphere and literally like particles hitting Mm -hmm. other particles which is so cute look at your little magnetosphere anyway um so so a comet uh, came on by mars not too long ago and maven was watching and it's really interesting because comets like Mars have these magnetospheres that are based on impact of um, of uh, particles, basically. And um, and so this comet, uh, which I guess they're calling Siding Spring, um, it uh, kind of brushed against mag- Mars's magnetosphere and put it into a tizzy. Mm-hmm. It like freaked out Mars's magnetosphere, which you know. I- it it's so tenuous that it, it's it's kind of not surprising that any kind of disturbance would make it um would make it uh react but the way the the mars uh the pr from nasa puts it is it ends up uh flapping like a curtain in the wind <laughs> <laughs> and ultimately in complete chaos for hours after the comet had passed by right. and this is important in thinking about uh crewed missions to Mars, right? That this is a uh, a layer of protection that Mars doesn't offer us, uh, that, like what we have here. Right. Yeah, right, because our, our magnetosphere is powerful. This is also, this goes to the why Mars's atmosphere is so tenuous, is that it's getting, as we talked about in a previous show, it's getting sandblasted, essentially, by the solar wind, and the, the atmosphere over billions of years has lost most of its atmosphere most of it has been blown into space by the solar wind well this comet actually kind of does the same thing the comet comes by and it sweeps some of mars's atmosphere away because um it's not that strong to begin with and it can't protect itself yeah you don't want to if we're going to draft um 
atmospheres. What you're saying is Mars <laughs> is not one you would pick. I I don't. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be at the top of my <laughs> list. I, I actually read a read a good piece that um I should probably find because uh, it's not in our show notes about uh, terraforming planets, and it was it was about terraforming Venus. Uh, which was a lot of fun, but as I was reading it, and then as I was reading, um, as I was reading uh, this story about Mars's tenuous atmosphere, I had that moment of like, I don't know, <laughs> I, 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 all this effort that we put into to Mars, and we can land on Mars now, but in terms of like how hospitable it is in the long run, um, you know, I don't know, maybe a, a balloon uh, fl- floating around Venus might be better. <laughs> than than going to dry unshielded mars but you know mars is mars is close-ish and we you know it has solid ground you can land on without being crushed or melted so you know i guess it's still wins. everything is trade-offs jason that's the lesson of the solar yeah. system is teaching you today yeah it's true nothing nothing there's nothing good if you want if you want it good stay on earth true we're going to make it to earth next uh, in our news roundup but first i want to tell everyone about squarespace Simplest way to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. You can start building your website today at squarespace.com. And if you enter the offer code LIFTOFF at checkout, you get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace gives you easy-to-use tools and templates, and it helps you capture every detail of what drives you. Because if it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing with the world. Squarespace puts all the power you need into your hands and takes away the pain points. You don't have to worry about things like hosting, scaling, or what to do if you get stuck. It lets you build uh, sites that are professionally designed regardless of your skill level, no coding required. You can make your website look and feel exactly how you want. All of this is backed up by state-of-the-art technology, and they ensure both security and stability. They're trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world. Now, you know, you hear the phrase site templates, and I got to tell you, they're stunning to look at. They all feature responsive design. So if you're uh, on an iPhone or an iPad or a big 27-inch iMac like Jason, these designs, these websites are going to look great no matter the size of the device. But all of this is just getting started. Squarespace has tons of awesome features like 24-7 support with live chat and email. They have teams located in New York, Dublin, and now Portland who are there to help you. They have a commerce platform. You can uh, add a store to your Squarespace site. We do this at Relay. We host uh, a little store on their commerce platform. We sell things like buttons and T-shirts and stickers, and it's really great. I go in there. I set the prices. I get all the shipping information. It's all very easy to use. And they have a cover page. You can build a great-looking single-page website for an announcement or uh, you know, some sort of, I've got one up to sort of uh, like an About Me page. It took me just a couple of minutes to build, and it looks great. All of this is with rock-solid, fast hosting, and so much more. Now, if you want to stretch Squarespace even further, you can go check out their dev platform. It lets you dig into the code and tinker with your Squarespace site in just tons of interesting ways. If you sign up for a year, you'll get a free domain name. So that allows you to choose exactly what you want your site to be called. And, uh, you know, this stuff is super cheap. Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month. You can go and start a trial today with no credit card required. You can start building right out of the box by going to squarespace.com. And when you do decide to sign up, make sure to use the offer code LIFTOFF to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Thank you to Squarespace for supporting LIFTOFF and all of RelayFM. All right, Jason, so we are now, um, we're almost at the Earth. My teaser was a little bit incorrect. We are now, uh, we're, we're at the moon we're at the relationship between us and the moon, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I, I we were going to do this next and I thought I thought conceptually based on the way that you're walking us through the news here, uh the moon comes next because there was a big uh solar eclipse in Asia, a total solar eclipse. And when we think of solar eclipses, we think of the sun, solar eclipse, and we think of the earth because we're on it. But it's all about the moon because the moon gets in our way. And there's some great pictures. There's actually a great animation you can see of the shadow of the moon, you know, sliding across because the moon is, you know, for the for those those uh, satellite pictures, the moon is kind of 
hanging out behind us and going right behind the sun and being like, or right in front of the sun and being like, Hey guys, sorry about this. Got to cast a shadow. And then it, and then it takes off again. So I think we're in moon vicinity when we talk about eclipses and, uh, there's some great, every total solar eclipse, there are some spectacular images. You get to see things in the sun that you don't normally see. You get to see this big shadow on the earth, which is just uh, amazing mm-hmm. to look at. I love, I love all of that. It's, uh, and we got, we got a lot of that. All the, all the eclipse photos were ready, ready and uh, revved up for this one. It's cool. And, um, the, uh, I think what's, what's neat about things like eclipses is, is it is just a primary, like a very simple example of just how things work, right? That, you know, we had a big conversation about, uh, how the moon goes around the earth and how we go around the sun. And, then it happens, you know, an eclipse takes place and it's just a really like concrete example of the, the stuff is actually what's going on. You know, that it's, it's uh, a very simple way yeah, to cir- explain it. These circles are swinging around, uh, you know, around us from our perspective. And every now and then one of them goes in front of the other one. And that is interesting. And, uh, and so, so yeah, this is, uh, this is cool. Also, we should say that this is the, the next, next up for the, for the moons, uh, getting in our way. Hey, sorry guys, I got in your way. Um, is, uh, there is a, when I was a kid, we had a, we had a total solar eclipse in, in, on the Western U S and, um, I remember at the time where I lived, it wasn't total, but it was still pretty Mm -hmm. big. Um, At the time, I think I was like in kindergarten or first grade. It was a long time ago now. Um, They said, well, there won't be another total eclipse in in the Western U.S. until... 2017 and i thought oh, that's so far in the future <laughs> well it's it's you know it's a year away now <laughs> and it is coming and uh it's coming to to uh the to the western u.s and uh you know a, a big part of a big part of north america in 2017 um and uh we'll have to talk about that more yeah. as it gets closer but i already i already told my wife that you know in august of 2017 we are going to Oregon basically it's and it's um it's actually going all the way across North America in fact the greatest the area of of greatest eclipse will be not too far from you yeah I was looking at this um this path uh that's going to take and um it's basically going to be just maybe a four or five hour drive for me to be basically right in the middle of it and that's um yeah that's a trip that I will probably uh end up making We'll put the we'll put in the show notes so people can get ready. Um, and if you're a space fan and you're anywhere near the path of totality, you should totally try to make a trip uh, in August. It's a summer a little summer road trip to that path. It's my sister actually lives part of the year in uh, in uh, Central Oregon. Not and and her place is like a few miles from the path of totality. So I figure we'll probably end up in in somewhere in Oregon. Um, hopefully not getting clouded in. <laughs> during because Oregon it happens uh during during that but that's not this summer but next summer the whole U.S. is going to get to experience a pretty great solar eclipse I think like you know the the at least 60 percent and then the totality goes through Oregon Idaho um we're gonna do we're gonna do geography here Oregon Idaho Wyoming Nebraska um parts of uh Kansas and Missouri uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, and then sort of on the borders of Georgia and North Carolina and South Carolina, all the way to the South Carolina coast. It's a pretty spectacular um, march of this eclipse. So the next, we're up. The next big total solar eclipse is is uh, North America. So North Americans, get ready. I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. Now wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go, let's go. Now wait, because it's not for like a year and a half. So. Wow, you really got me going, and now I just have to. Put put the lawn chair down, Stephen. I was in my car ready to go. Um, I, I do uh, I do like this tweet though. Um, did you see this about Jupiter from from Emily yeah. Lactawala? Yeah, yeah. That's that's like uh, Jupiter schooled us. It's uh, the dual transit of Ju- of uh, Jupiter by Io and Europa with the their shadows on the cloud tops of Jupiter visible. Yeah, showing yeah. off. <laughs> that's all that is. It's like why why you got to be that way, Jupiter? But you know. Come on, it's Jupiter. giant. It has many moons, so you get that all the time. It's true. Whatever. <laughs> wow, Jason's not mad. <laughs> I like moons. Don't get me wrong. Those are uh, there's some some of my moons in there. I I believe right. That's uh, that's Io and Europa. So it's one of yours and yep, one of there mine. We go. 
So high five for the moon draft. We're both uh, we're both in that Teamwork. picture. It's basically us. All right. So now we're going to talk about the year in space mission. So Scott Kelly is back. Um, uh, Scott Kelly, of course, spent just shy. Was it 340, 341 days uh, aboard yeah. the... Yeah, I felt uh, it's kind of a ripoff. Year in space. Not quite, yeah. Scott Kelly. Slacker. Uh, yeah, you set the record for an American astronaut in space, but come on. Um, so he's back, and uh, the, of course, to huge fanfare. Um, and there's been a lot of stories about sort of what's going on now. He's been, you know, Scott Kelly and his team were very good on social media during the mission. And that has continued. There was a picture just, I think, yesterday or today. He's having uh, an MRI to look at, at bone density and all this. You know, it's going to be a long time for this twin study research to be to be wrapped up and to be put into something that is shareable with the rest of us. Um, but I, just in this very short period of time where he's been back, there's been some, some interesting stories um, and some sort of weird side effects that he has shared. And not necessarily that these things are new, but because of the social angle um, and the PR angle that we, you know, we get to hear more about this than we used to. And the one that jumped out to me was that his skin is extremely sensitive to like touching things or sitting down or, or mm. walking. And um, when you're in low gravity, you know, you don't have a lot of that stuff going on. And when you come back, you do. And it was just like a, just this little tidbit out of an interview that really jumped out at me of being interesting. Yeah, I uh, I saw I saw a piece about his uh, his jumpsuit, <laughs> which made me laugh because it's like the uniform, it's the PR uniform for astronauts. And so somebody actually wrote a piece that was that that they they were watching his whole like his landing and his press conference and his traveling back to the U.S. and his appearances in the U.S. and he's always wearing the blue jumpsuit. And somebody actually wrote a thing saying, "Does he only have the one set of clothes now? Is it and is it smelly?" And they actually got somebody from NASA PR to say he has multiple jumpsuits. And so he can take one off and that one can be cleaned and then he can wear another one. But it is kind of like his public appearance outfit. But it did get to the point where you wonder if like literally the man only wears the blue jumpsuit. But it's not it's not actually true. And it's uh, it's it's cool. I like the the detail in uh, in speaking of uh, Lauren Grush, her story about uh, how he can't shoot baskets because he's confused by gravity. He tried to tried to shoot some baskets. It didn't and, go uh, well. He it didn't know because gravity. How does it work? He doesn't know. He He was he was gone. He he forgot. I think the first thing he said was he was going to go jump in his pool, like trying to recreate the low. Uh, oh yeah, the low gravity experience. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, so it's 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 interesting, and I think uh, I think it's pretty cool that again we're seeing this stuff um, a lot more, you know, shared a lot more freely than we used to. So, all right, you have something in here about uh, about BB-8, which I have to tell you, uh, not real. Jason, sorry. Uh, uh, no, no, well, is it a robot or not? Is the real question. Is it a robot? Robot or not? It's, it's, I'm not equipped to answer that question. Um, BB-8, which is a robot or a droid, as the kids say, from the Star Wars. If you do know about the Star Wars, Stephen, uh, have you seen the Star Wars? <laughs> I am aware of the Star Wars. Okay, you're aware of the Star Wars. Well, well, uh, BB-8 went to the uh, the robots of uh, of the Jet Propulsion Lab, and uh, and there are some cute pictures. We'll link to the tweets that came from BB-8. Um, so it's adorable. One of them, BB-8, is wearing a uh, his uh, his JPL badge that allows him access. And then BB-8 went around and visited several uh, other JPL robots. There's a funny one of uh, a BB-8. Obviously, uh, it's a little blurry. Obviously, in motion next to a a, a little Mars rover uh, guy. And then also he's next to the big Mars rovers in another picture. Um, and then there's also this uh, this tweet where. It, BB-8 is in the clean mm-hmm. room where, 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 and, and all I can think is, don't you know where that droid has been? He is covered in sand. <laughs> he is a dirty, dusty robot. Don't let him in the clean room. Maybe they hosed him down before he got in there. I don't know. But it, those were adorable pictures. And uh, so I wanted to put it is it, it is about the most adorable thing I've seen all week. Just <laughs> uh, had a little ID badge. I guess, um, you know, even, yeah. you know. In government facilities, you got to make sure you know you know who's who. You do. <laughs> I had to wear mine when I went to NASA yeah. uh, Ames uh, Research Center, right? You know, you got to do it. I do think BB-8 may be more easily recognizable than you. I know. I mean, don't take it the wrong way, but you know, what can you say? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. pretty funny. All right. Um, 
I think we're going to end uh, this this news roundup. We're, uh, we're going to skip over um, Venus, and we're going to go straight to, to Mercury. Sorry, Venus. We already talked about you. We want to put a balloon in there, yeah. but uh, there's no news about Venus. That that thing that we'll put in the show notes, that story I read about terraforming Venus. That'll that was count. Fun. Yep. See you, Venus. We're, we got to move on to Mercury yeah. now. So there, there's long been discussion about the color of Mercury's surface, um, which is... Uh, relatively dark compared to what some people, you know, thought it should be or or that it Mm -hmm. it would be otherwise. And uh, there's uh, an article that came out in um, Nature Geoscience, which I had to read about three other articles to explain it. (laughs) It's written from scientists to scientists. Um, But what it boils down to is um, data from the the Messenger uh, mission. There was was thought that this was iron, and because iron can, it makes up dark patches on our own moon. Um, but Messenger said, well, no, it's actually not iron. And it is now thought to be graphite, which everyone is familiar with here on Earth because it's stuff we stick in our pencils. Mm-hmm. And so this idea is um, uh, that there was graphite um, that may have formed on a, uh, a crusty surface over a um, basically a mantle. And that as the planet surfaces cooled, um, that carbon got hardened as well. And so it's this carbon-graphite sort of mix. And so we see graphite around craters. So something impacts the surface and kind of blows it apart. And we see this underlying layer of graphite. Um, mm. And uh, it's it's pretty neat. Some of the, you know, you look at these pictures and these articles and all of these craters have dark rings around them. You know, you can, you can just imagine something hitting the surface and blowing all this material outward. And it's, it makes Mercury uh, a little unique in the solar system. Um, it's also a fun reminder that uh messenger was on a suicide mission. It basically crashed into the surface of Mercury. Um, sometimes robots have to do things uh, that people don't want to do, but it, that's right, but that's why they're that's, that's why, why they're, they're robots. robots. That's why we love and, them. And um, and so yeah, so this is an interesting story about Mercury uh, here at the end of this week. So yeah, it's I gotta say again, people are gonna be mad at me. Um, Mercury, not my favorite planet. Wow, but uh, hard to I you're, know. You're hard. You're hard man to please, Jason. Not high up in my planetary draft when we get to it, but um, and oh yeah, we're gonna get to it one day. But uh, but this was really interesting because uh, we have. It's so hard to get into orbit around Mercury. It's hard, so hard to fly by Mercury that the idea that they, uh, you know, we, we, it's iron. Yeah, that's probably it. Oh, nope, nope, that's not it. Right? It's uh, cool that we're still making kind of these large discoveries of, uh, like, we don't understand why a pl- one of our eight planets is the color mm-hmm. it is. That's uh, so very cool. It is. And, um, you know, I, I'll... I won't leave you hanging out to dry. It is not on towards the top of my list either. So you and I can can take the the uh-huh. for that together. You've revealed everything about your draft strategy now for the planetary. <laughs> I think a planetary draft, draft would be. Well, I guess it's eight. I mean, that's not that. That's only one that's one round bad. shorter than the moon draft was. Mm. Yeah, we'll just have to see who who gets stuck with. It's, uh, it's really the, the Phobos <laughs> of planets. <laughs> uh, so that's mean. gonna generate some email. So mm-hmm. I think that's this for Fortnite's emails. Uh, news. I think so. Yeah. Also, yes, <clears throat> I think so. Um, not every. We are working on getting some new uh, people for yes. interviews. So, uh, and we'd like to wish Rachel Binks, who we interviewed well, she left JPL um, to go on to do some new things, and looks like she's. When last we saw her, she was driving into the Mojave Desert and her car broke down. I saw that down. tweet. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but uh, she was great, and I hope she did, uh, you know, she did some great work at JPL, and, and uh, she, shut da- she shut down some of her other personal uh, website projects. So I think she's got a, you know, she's do- make, do- making a, a, a career move, and, and we wish her all the best because she was a great guest, and I uh, love following her on Twitter. Um, and, but we are working on getting some uh, other guests on in future episodes and also doing some deep dive into topics. I've been re-listening to the astronomy class that I took via podcast in like 10 years ago um, uh, and uh, hoping to do a thing about the sun at some point. I had to laugh, Stephen, um, at the beginning of one of the – they're literally just a, a, an astronomy professor at Ohio State University recording himself with a clip-on like MP3 mm-hmm. recorder. Um, and he turns it on at the beginning of class. So you, the, the first – 
two minutes of the podcast is like saying turn in your homework and you know we're not gonna there's mlk day is monday so don't come on monday we'll see you on tuesday and all the all the like class stuff which is hilarious but then he did like a little science update and he said so uh today they're launching uh this uh probe that's going to go to the ninth planet pluto wow and it's uh but it's not gonna it's not gonna get there until 2015 which is really far a long time from now and i thought oh my god (laughs) that's right uh since then pluto not a planet and new horizons actually made it and we're we're in that far future so that that made me laugh but i am listening back to that because that was my favorite uh astronomy class podcast that i listen to and, and i'm hoping we can talk about stars and how they work in a future episode that'd be really really cool they're weird man that's that there's your tldr stars they're hot and weird <laughs> but we'll we'll get into it someday so if you want to look at all of the the links to the stories we've uh, spoken about this week there are a couple of places you can do that you can do it in your podcast app of choice you can go to our website mm. Relay.fm slash liftoff slash 16. Uh, a lot of the stuff has also been coming from the Tumblr. So liftoffpodcast.space. Space! And now I don't have to edit the sound clip in. You did it for me. Uh, so you can follow along there. You can follow along on Twitter as well. The show is at uh, liftoffpodcast. Jason is at jsnell and writes sixcolors.com. You can find me on Twitter at ismh. And I write over at 512pixels. Dot net. Uh, so get in touch, topic ideas, questions, uh, ideas for interviews. Uh, we love hearing from you guys. And um, I think, Jason, I think that does it for, uh, for this fortnight. Yeah, I think so. We'll head back out into deep space and return in two weeks. Until then, say goodbye. Goodbye. Adios. Adios.